Good morning. Many times the man stands out front and he says, I greet you in the name of our risen Lord. And that is true. Amen. But for some reason this morning it just had just a little bit of different ring to it. We're here celebrating our Easter time here this morning. The title of the message is <clears throat> Resurrection Responses. And we looked at, at some in our Sunday school class, but we're going to look at <clears throat> a few more here this morning. It is so exciting to be here as we remember and, and celebrate and we, we, we think about his death and his burial, but then this morning, his resurrection. And Friday, being Good Friday, the day we remember how Jesus was, and we know the story well, falsely accused, beaten and crucified. Go through the story real quickly. He died on the cross. Then his body was carefully taken down and placed in the grave, the story we know quite well. And three days later, as he said, he arose from the dead. And for a long time, I used to try to figure out how this three days works, did a little bit of studying, and the Jews counted a part of the day as a day. So Jesus was buried on, on Friday evening, day one. He was in the grave on Saturday, day two, and he arose early Sunday morning which is where we see day three. And prophecy was fulfilled in many, many ways. As, as, and as Leonard brought out in our, uh, in our Sunday school, in our devotional this morning, that God was in complete control and nothing, nothing happened outside his all-seeing eye. He knew everything that was going to happen and it happened perfectly as he had planned. But today, because of the resurrection, lives have been changed and are continuing to, to be changed. And those who have accepted Christ as a personal Savior have power to live in victory over temptation, which comes our way, over sin, which we find ourselves in betimes. And because we have the power to live in victory, we can live lives, holy lives and pure lives for our Savior. So I trust that we can be a, a grateful people, thanking Jesus every day for his victory over death. And this morning... As I mentioned, we're going to look at some responses of a few people who visited the tomb on the first Easter morning, and then followed by our response. So take, let's go back. Your mind can go back to that first Easter morning. They went to the burrow, the site of the tomb, and they discovered that the tomb was empty. And when you when you study, you try to uh, I try to to make words that flow with what I'm trying to say. If you've ever been up front, you know what I'm talking about. So let me stutter through, the, through this just a second. The, um, they went to the empty tomb, and the body of Jesus was missing. Like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Was it missing? Okay. The, the body of Jesus was gone. Wait a minute. No, no, no. Was it gone? And if you, How can we put this into words? It doesn't sound correct. But the truth is that we all know the body of Jesus wasn't missing. The body of Jesus wasn't gone, although it was not in the grave, but the body of Jesus was alive. And today, Jesus Christ is still alive today. <clears throat> and our faith in Jesus Christ centers around the fact, excuse me, that Jesus rose from the dead. The Christian faith centers around that fact. So let me ask you a question. Can a person be a Christian if they do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Can I be a Christian if I take the, the resurrection account and doubt it? 
No. Because it centers around the fact that Jesus is alive and he rose from the dead. While the cross paid the penalty for sin and opened the way for forgiveness, the Lord's resurrection from the dead is what conquered the grave and opened the way for eternal life, for our salvation. So before we get to the resurrection responses, I want to quickly look at the response of those watching the crucifixion. And I think this is a, just a remarkable a remarkable scene. Um, it's from the Roman soldier from Matthew 27, 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. So picture those people watching the scene at the, from the foot of the cross. They felt the earthquake, earth shake, and obviously they were there long enough that they heard the words that Jesus spoke from the cross. They heard him speaking. And then this Roman commander, and in my studies I come across a phrase, a mere heathen, I don't want to judge the man, possibly one who was in charge of the crucifixion. The centurion has a bunch of men under him. And he said this, he said, truly this was the Son of God. What did he experience that caused him to utter such a sentence? Back up just a little bit. He stood there in the darkness. As I said before, he experienced the earthquake. He obviously observed the manner of Christ's death. He saw the patience of Jesus. He heard his words of mercy. He saw how Jesus voluntarily, which is a key word, gave his life. And then, through it all, stricken with fear, saying, uh, and I quote, This Jesus was put to death due to the invention of blasphemy. He gave out himself for the Son of God, but all things plainly show that he said nothing but the truth. Of himself, Doubtless, he was no other than that he said of himself, the Son of God. And to wrap it up, those men sent to carry out the charge paused for a few moments and stood looking up at the cross. They didn't turn and walk away, at least not at that point yet. They recognized Jesus for who he was. And to those that were standing around listening, he said it loud enough. He said, truly, this was the Son of God. And I say, that is just so beautiful. Many people didn't recognize that. But this Roman soldier, this centurion, said, truly, this was the Son of God. So as we think about how people responded when they saw the empty grave, if you can go back there with me for a moment, uh, and the body of Jesus I'll put it this way, could not be found. I'd like to tell you a story. And this goes back to with the time we served in Grenada. And the story is about Glenn Cutane. Uh, Glenn Cutane was our pastor at the Lions Mennonite Church in Grenada. Uh, a native from Grenada, married, had three sons and, and one daughter. And on June 10th, on 2003, Glenn left with his friend to go fishing. Now, to go diving. 
Now, this was his occupation. This is how he, he made his living. He, he would dive for lobster as well as um, fish, which he would shoot with. He had this big rubber band on, onto a, a spear gun, and he had a rope tied to his arrow, so he'd be down in the water, and he'd fish would come along, and he would shoot this thing, but there was a, a rope tied, a string tied to the arrow, and he could pull his catch back. Then after they come back uh, to shore, they would stop at the local restaurants and sell their catch of the day, and thus Glenn made a good living. One day, uh, Glenn's car was in the shop, either for service or for repair, and in the afternoon, he called me to see if I could pick him up, then take him to the restaurant and take him back home. Sure. So I took uh, a little bus, and we went out there, and I remembered as if it happened yesterday. We get there, open the back of the bus, and t Glenn took this burlap bag of lobster. Of course, I didn't see it, just a big bag, and put it in the back of the bus. And then we drove to this restaurant up to the back door, took this bag of uh, lobster out of the back. They weighed it. And then uh, I saw a few dollar bills being exchanged, and we jumped in a, in a car and left and left. And just, this is how the man made his living, and this was his job. I repeat, on June 10th, 2003, Glenn left to go diving and never returned. The story could go on, and I'll go on a little bit longer. There's a lot of details I'm going to admit. But later on in the day, after the time that he was supposed to come back, his wife called me and said, hey, could you take me out to where they leave from? Sure. So, again, drove out there, and when we got there, there's, uh, there's Glenn's car sitting, and there's his street clothes hanging on the door by the changing room because they changed into their clothes to go out to go diving, but Glenn was uh, nowhere around. And many people were praying, and the search began. Airplanes were sent out to help the search, flying around, hoping to see a man, a boat, or something, all to no avail. And then more than one time, his wife got a phone call. They found him. And we heard from a neighbor later that they seen his wife out in the porch dancing and rejoicing because they heard that, she, that he was found. Then one day, the report came back that they found three men that had drifted many miles in a boat. And the fact is, they did find three men, but it was not the boat that had left from Grenada with, uh, with Glenn Cutain. And her rejoicing quickly turned to sorrow as the reports that she was hearing were false. And the fact remains, as of today, the body of Glenn Cutain was never found. I don't know how long ago, but it's been years ago. You know how you write stuff in the front of your Bible? The front of my Bible says, Glenn, Pastor Glenn left to go diving on June 10, 2003, and it's followed by a couple periods because the end of the story, uh, there was none. <clears throat> Glenn's body was never found. And in the account that we're going to look at this morning, on the resurrection account, uh, you can turn to Matthew 28. We're going to look how, how two women went looking for the body of Jesus. They didn't find him at the grave. But this story in Matthew turns out a little different from the story that I just told you about uh, from Grenada. The response of... Uh, Mary Magdalene and the mother of James. We have this in Matthew 28. The end of the Sabbath, it began to dawn. Toward the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene and the Mary to see the sepulcher. Early in the morning, they went looking for the body of Jesus. And th these women knew where the body of Jesus was placed because they were at the tomb a few days earlier when Joseph of Arimathea laid him there. And, excuse me, they, had, they expected to find his body there and anoint him with the uh, spices they had brought alone, along. 
So as they approached the tomb, there was a great earthquake. Now this is the second earthquake in three days. The other one we can find in Matthew 27, verse 57, when Jesus, I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 51, when Jesus died, there was an earthquake. So here was the second one. But interesting, the earthquake and, and the women didn't run. seems like they stood still, just wondering what was going to happen next. The angel descended from heaven, came and rolled back this large stone to allow access into the tomb. Interestingly enough to point out, the stone was rolled away, but not to let Jesus out, but to let the witnesses in to see that it was, was empty. Verse 3 describes the countenance of the angels, and also verse 4 we see how the, uh, the keepers became as dead men. And at first the women were afraid as well. But then the angel would offer them words of comfort. Fear not, for I know you seek Jesus, which was crucified. And it's so profound. Verse 6, the angel speaking to the women, he's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Exactly how he said he was going to, it was going to happen. Then they offered, uh, said, you want to see where he was? Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And the angel continued, just to talk to them. His body was no longer in the grave. Verse 7, here we see the angel giving the women's specific directions. They said, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Where were the disciples at this time? We had a, a wonderful time in our Sunday school class this morning, and a question comes up. It came up, why did the women go to the grave? Where were the disciples? And there's, we could talk about that for a while. We'll let that be. We can talk about that later. But here the women were the first there to the grave and the angel said go tell the disciples and then by the way you're going to see Jesus in Galilee so we're thinking of, of their response in verse 8 they departed quickly and ran to bring word to the disciples they wanted to be the first to bring the good news to the disciples they believed they were filled with some fear correct but also great joy they saw what they needed to see and they wanted to be the first to tell the story. Then they were on a mission when they met Jesus. As they went to tell the disciples, verse 9, Jesus met them. And they came and they worshipped him. The disciples, the women were being obedient to the instruction from the angels when they met Jesus. I quote, believers who run in the path of obedience are the ones who most likely will be met by Jesus. We could take that and apply that as a practical application. Are we being obedient to what we have been told? It's also interesting to note that the women were the first to see the empty tomb. The women were first to see the risen Lord. And women were the first to tell the disciples that Jesus rose from the dead. And God often uses women, maybe with more tender emotions, to bring the people to the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we see the response of the women, I think we can look at probably meant more, but three practical applications. And the first one is the key, and that is that we believe. Remember I said we can't. If we don't believe in the resurrection, we can't even follow the Lord. Here, we need to believe. The, the women didn't hold a meeting to discuss the details of the event. Nobody see that there was any doubt there. But what we see is that they believe. Let the truth be told. He's alive. Believe, for it is true. The second thing we can see, they were filled with great joy. It's an exciting event. This is an exciting time. I like the story Leonard shared in our devotional this morning. We're getting to the exciting part here as we see Jesus rose from the dead. He died, yes, was buried, true, but now he is alive. And today we serve a risen Savior. 
He's alive. He's no longer in the grave. And we have reason to be filled with joy, with great joy. It has been said that Christianity, what's the truth, is the only religion with an empty tomb. Our Savior, our Lord, our King is not dead. He is alive. Our Savior lives, as we were singing earlier, up from the grave he arose. The third thing we can see here about the women, they were eager to tell others. And I apply that to our hearts, to us today. The women ran to tell the disciples, and may we follow in their example. Are we filled with joy? First of all, believe, are we filled with joy? Then eager to tell others. Let's not doubt, nor be shy, but tell others that our Lord is alive. And the next thing that we're going to look at is, is the disciples. And as you read in uh, the four accounts from, from the Gospels, you will notice how the women were much quicker to believe than the disciples that Jesus rose from the dead. In Matthew, as I just mentioned, we saw the women were first to tell the disciples. John, as we saw in our Sunday school lesson, Peter and John ran to the tomb to see for themselves. The question could be raised, didn't they believe what the women told them? In Matthew 28, 17, um, the 11 disciples, 16 and 17, went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But Matthew writes in his account here, and I find it interesting, he said, but some doubted. And we could ask why, but I don't have an answer. Some doubted. Turn for a few more verses to uh, Luke 24. We're thinking about the disciples here. Luke 24, 9 to 12. And returning from the sepulchre and, and told all these things unto the eleven and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told them these things unto the apostles. Then here it's interesting, verse 11. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed not. Then Peter rose, ran unto the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. A few verses filled with, with questions. The words seemed like idle tales. Didn't have the, it almost appears they didn't have the slightest expectation that, of the resurrection. And it says they believed not. Just didn't believe what the story the women were saying. Peter saw the empty tomb. Peter is a, we can learn so much from him. He was known to be a very bold man. But here he, he left the tomb and still wondering. I found that picture in the man on, on your left. It looks like he's there just wondering what happened. What just came, as it said here, wondering in himself that which was come to pass. What just happened? And I'm sure there's a lot going through their minds. We're going to come back to a little bit of Peter later on. But then Jesus appeared uh, to the disciples. So they didn't have to believe the story that the women had said. I'm jumping ahead now to verse 36. Jesus spake himself, stood in their midst, and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And here is their initial response. We don't want to come down too hard on these men. They were terrified and frightened, supposing they had seen a spirit. Verse 38 of uh, Luke 24, And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? Why do your thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. It is I. Handle me and see. When he had thus spoken, he showed unto them his hands and his feet. In verse 41, here we have Luke writing, And while they yet believe not for joy... And wondered, he said, have you any meat? 
still not convinced, and maybe we could say, we could, we, we could look at this and say, the news was just too good to be true. I just needed to sink in. And then for the final verses, we could go back to the, uh, our Sunday school lesson, which we looked at, and that is from John, from John 20 and verse 19. At the same day, at even time being the first day of the week, when doors were shut, disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. And like the angel that visited uh, the tomb, here Jesus brought words of comfort, Peace be unto you. And verse 20, their doubt was turned to joy. I think they were beginning to understand the facts of what happened, and their Lord was alive. The meeting they had with Jesus was back in verse 20 of John 20. You get back down to, to verse 24, we see that Thomas was not with them at that initial meeting. Um, he seems to be a little more skeptical than the others about the disciples. And Thomas wanted, as we could say, tangible evidence before he would believe. His initial response, simply, unless I see and touch, I will not believe. I read it from King James, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of his nails and thrust my hand into the side, I will not believe. And many times we, we look at this account in a negative way, but let's just see what we can learn. In verse 26, we see Thomas needed to wait eight days before Jesus appeared again. And then we see again, Jesus offered them words of comfort. Then he turned his attention directly to Thomas and said, Thomas, look at my hands and reach, look at my hands and reach your hand into my side. Then taught Jesus out of Thomas, be not faithless, but believe. And Thomas was true to his word. He touched, he saw, and he believed, and then he spoke that beautiful phrase. He said, My Lord and my God. And while I know that this man is, is well known for his doubt, but he they also had another side of him, his sincere faith in the Lord, which is not so well known. I had read in my studies that Thomas went on to serve the Lord. He preached Christ in India and was killed by a spear in his back. And they said the church is still there today because one man needed to see to believe. One needed some tangible proof. And after he had that, then he was willing and able to go and preach Jesus Christ crucified, died, and resurrection. Back to his comment, my Lord and my God, has been said to be one of the greatest confessions in Scripture. And you picture Thomas there, possibly dropping to his knees and exclaiming that, my Lord and my God. And we can look at that and say that Thomas was now aware of five things. Number one, Jesus is truly the risen Lord. Everything that Jesus had mentioned to him earlier was the truth. All doubt has been removed. Number two, Jesus is both Lord and Savior, the sovereign majesty of the universe. He said, my Lord and my God. Number three, Jesus is the one who came to truly reveal God, and he is a mediator between God and man. The fourth thing that Jesus, that uh, Thomas saw, Jesus accepts no halfway commitments. Jesus expected him, Thomas, to be, to, when he said, my Lord and my God, expected Thomas to give his all. Therefore, we must personally bow and worship Jesus as our Lord and our God. And also, it could be said that Jesus expected an open and public confession of him as Lord and God. And there we see Thomas saw and, and believed. And after um, Thomas had said that, then Jesus said, Thomas, 
Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Those who have not seen, I believe that referring to you and I. But I trust the end of the verse is referring to you and I as well. We have believed. I'd like to just read verse 31 also. But these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Another very beautiful verse. But this morning we are believing without seeing, having seen the evidence and the proof. And the question we could ask ourselves as we look at the counts of some of these responses, are we, are we quick to believe like the women who were at the tomb that morning? Or do we sometimes have reasons to doubt? And we looked at a, at a few of the responses from the people here this morning. But the question for the morning is, what's our response to the resurrection? What does the resurrection mean to us? And the resurrection gives evidence of Jesus' power over sin, death, hell, and the grave. It's also obvious that nothing can stop our Lord. And the very hope of our salvation rests confidently in the fact that Jesus conquered death, that Jesus is able to offer salvation because of his resurrection. Death and the grave could not hold him. And today, this very morning, as we take knowledge of the resurrection, the story we looked at in our Sunday school lesson and some of the verses we looked at this morning, what we need to do is take this message and apply it to our lives. You know, Jesus died for you and me. So if we are living in, in sin, we think of our response to the resurrection. So the first one, if we're living in sin, our response to the resurrection should be repentance. You know, Jesus shed his blood to free the sinner from, from chains of sin. So may all men accept him as Lord and Savior, repent of the past, and then live a pure life for the Lord. The second one I'd like to look at is we need to forgive as we have been forgiven. And this word forgiveness is a, this is a message within itself. But uh, Jesus is willing to forgive the sinner. Jesus was raised for our justification. To justify is to make us as if we have never sinned. And when he does that, it restores peace with God. But stop and ponder the wonder of forgiveness. Just think about what all forgiveness means to you and I. For, for Just for a little bit, take yourself... Let's go back to the crucifixion account. Between the crucifixion and the resurrection, put yourself in Peter's shoes. I said we're going to come back to Peter. You got there. You had your shoes tied. Peter, he was guilty. He had uh, feelings of defeat and failure. Then I'm sure questions come up as he just sat there. and Can you picture him just wringing his hands through his hair and saying, Why did I deny him? Why did I forsake him? Picture him sitting there alone in some dark room just asking a question, why? Imagine them days of fear and may we even say agony that he must have felt. You know, when you do something wrong or you say something you should have said, you know, I think you know what I'm talking about. And then we find that, that Jesus appears and what does he offer? He offers peace and he offers forgiveness. And now if you're still in Peter's shoes, can you understand how he must have felt as he worshipped his Lord and his Savior? He denied him and thought he'd die, never see him again. And here we have 
him worshiping his Lord and his Savior. Question, are we willing to forgive like we have been forgiven? Are we willing to forgive like we have been forgiven? Another response is we need to just proclaim praise. We need to worship him and adore him. Praise and worship him because he made it possible for us to live in victory. It comes up again. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. How about Romans 6? Thank you, Jesus, that we can walk in newness of life. We become new creatures in Christ with power to live in victory. Psalm 34.1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Brothers and sisters, we need to be filled with adoration. And back to another fact, how our faith in Christ just centers around the fact that he rose from the dead. I'm going to borrow a few words from the song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. We have the hope of another day. Able to make it through because we know who holds the future. Because he lives, all fear is gone. There's a big one. Fear is gone when we trust him in our Lord. When we're serving the one who removes fear. For when Jesus is near, he brings words of comfort. That song says we can experience a calm assurance. I think we know what it's like to go through a trying and anxious situation. But Jesus removes fear and replaces it with a calm, restful spirit. He is our source of comfort. Then I had to think, maybe just kind of putting the whole story and just looking at it from a different angle. Today, people, I'm not talking about, not necessarily saying us this morning, but people in general are attracted to a number of things. And I'll just give out four. People are attracted to power, position, popularity, and wealth. Some people have, have sports heroes. You go to the store and you see them walking through the, through the aisles with the name of their hero on the back, and maybe, their name, maybe his number on the front, and they're proud of their hero. Let's go back to the Bible times. There were kings who lived a life of royalty, and many people looked up to them. And if your mind is still back there, now picture Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a big white horse. No, the Bible says here comes Jesus riding in on a donkey. Here comes Jesus living the life of a, very, of a humble servant. Here is Jesus in anything but a wealthy man in fancy clothing. But he's the king. He's Lord. And what happened to him? I talked about it earlier. He was rejected and despised. Why? Well, Jesus was not the popular king that people were expecting to see. Jesus didn't fit the picture of wealth the people had in their mind as a king. To many, he was nothing more than he's just the carpenter's son. And they crucified him. Now, words of Jesus in John 12, 32, he's, Jesus said this, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And lifted up from the earth, signifying his death on the cross. And he fulfilled that part. He died, and he rose again on the third day. Then notice the last part of the verse. He said, will draw all men unto himself. Now, Jesus is not saying that every person without exception will respond. 
but every person without distinction will be invited. He, he offered his life, excuse me, for all. And today, the believers are drawn to him. Just like he said, if I be lifted up, if I'm set on, on the, if I hung, hang on that cross, I will draw people unto me. And today we're drawn to him. I trust we are, but we're not drawn to him for the same reason that people are drawn to their sports heroes. Oh, wow, this guy's good at that game. Did you see him shoot that basket and so on and so forth? No, that's not why we're drawn to him. But we're drawn to Jesus because of his example of humility. It's exactly opposite. Jesus didn't come and, and do something great so we're drawn to him. Although he did, yes, he did, but not in, in a popularity area. He came and we're drawn to him because of his example of humility. We're drawn to him because of his example of servanthood. We're drawn to him because of his power, all-powerful. We're drawn to him because of his promises, which we can read over and over again, and we love it. When we do our part, he promises that he will do his. We're drawn to him because he is our king, and we could go on a little bit. He's our shepherd. He's the true vine to which we are to be connected to. He is all-knowing. I mentioned all-powerful earlier, and he is so much more. And because of the resurrection, he is alive. Because he lives, our lives have been changed. <coughs> and so, I'll leave you with this thought. May we this day, as in every day for the rest of our lives, just thank and praise our Lord for his power and for his resurrection. He is alive and I, we, are forgiven. And today we can sit here this morning in peace that if he would come this afternoon, that we could be ready. I trust that's where we are at. And because he arose many years ago, we, today we're sitting here just waiting for the day he's going to return and take us home. He's alive and I'm forgiven. Oh, and we're just looking forward to eternal life. And so I close with hallelujah, praise be to our risen Lord, which is what I greeted you with uh, when, when we started here this morning. Folks, brothers and sisters, we have a story to tell. We need to be excited about what Jesus has done for us. Let's not be shy. Let's not doubt, but just trust, obey, and believe. Let's pause for prayer. Father God, we just come before you here this morning. I say thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for what you did the first Easter morn many years ago. And thank you, Lord, that today we can believe, we can be filled with great joy, and we can be eager to tell others what you have done. Lord, help us to serve you each and every day of our lives and to boldly proclaim to others that we serve a risen Lord who is alive and who will be coming back soon to take us home to be with him, a day that we all look forward to. Go with us throughout this day and throughout this week. Bless us, we pray. May we bless you as well, Lord. Give us wisdom and courage and direction. In your name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. And shall we stand for a song, please?